0: So you want to get into the cannabis business, huh? You want to grow, you want to sell, you want to distribute, extract, or just check those licenses. Make sure that they're all in compliance with those rules and regulations. Stop and listen to Bob Karp, an attorney who literally wrote the book on how to get into the cannabis business. And now he's released the book on how to become a compliance officer. We sat down at NECAN in Springfield last weekend for In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young on location at the New England Cannabis Convention here in Springfield, Massachusetts. And, you know, you go out to the western part of the state and you run into a guy who lives or used to live in your old hometown of Newton. Now he's moved on to another waterfront home in uh, Gloucester, Mass. Is that true? That's very true. Bob Carp, Robert Carp, who literally wrote the book on how to get into the cannabis industry. That was the uh, number one bestseller on Amazon. So if you wanted to learn how to get into it, what's the name of that book? And then we'll get into your new book.
1: The name of that book is The Marijuana Business Operations Guide. It's been out for about four years, been uh, top of Amazon for almost that long for the category. And it's a great primer if you're interested in going into the business as uh, an operations guide, Shows you what capital expenses you can expect to spend. Also comes with a 40-page business plan that has raised millions of dollars for my clients. And is it transferable
0: to beyond just those who are growing it or in are the inside of the industry? What about some of the ancillary businesses that are here as well?
1: Jimmy, that is a very insightful question. I mean that sincerely because you're seeing today people talking about hemp, CBD, they're talking about Businesses that they call do not touch the plant, and it definitely goes through that because there's many ways in this industry to make money besides raising flowers.
0: Right, absolutely. In fact, Pro Cannabis Media is doing that very thing because we are telling the story as, as we're sitting here. We're telling the stories of those in the industry and saying, "What's your story?" Which is, you know, kind of. Journalism 101 when you get right down to it. and I, I do teach Journalism 101, by the way, at Curry College. But anyway, that's another story. Um, Bob Carp, tell us about this new book and why this book is, the timing of it is so important.
1: Well, Jimmy, this took me uh, about a year to write. When I say a year, I'm talking weekends, 12, 14-hour days, it's 812 pages and that's the condensed version. Uh, About three-quarters of the way through, I actually at about 1,500 pages, and I realized no one's going to finish reading it, and it's just way too much ancillary stuff. So I I really try to encapsulate it. This is the ultimate compliance book for cannabis. What people don't realize is, despite the fact it may be federally illegal, it still has requirements under HIPAA, OSHA, EPA, and every other federal agency, along with the different state requirements. So what I've done is made countless checklists, countless questions, Even after all the checklists you've gone through, there's still in the back 2,000 more questions you might want to just look at to make sure the place that you're actually doing a compliance audit in in is actually compliant with state regulations. We go through uh, letters people have received from state commissions, show you how to remediate. We also show you how to interpret the laws. So I think we're doing something that will hopefully help the industry become in compliance a lot faster.
0: And... uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you are, you will. Um, the Cannabis Control Commission of Massachusetts um, is now looking for compliance officers. So it's another, another example of why this industry, it's creating jobs. And here's another example of, of that whole thing.
1: The, very good point, the Cannabis Control Commission actually this week had a Ad posted for an investigator for a starting salary between seventy eighty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's not like just a minimum wage job. No, no. There are definitely white collar jobs out there. Uh, this book helps people become white collars, to become a certified compliance officer. So along with the book, there's a series of exams and other things you need to uh, accomplish in order to do so. But. It takes people who are generally just bud-tenders or working at the point-of-sale stations to give them the ability to actually move up into the management part of the business, besides being in the operational part.
0: I know you've been in this space for quite a while, Bob, and one of the uh, issues that's coming out is the, uh, the growth of the illegal market in cannabis. The whole idea of legalizing it and regulating it and tracking it from seed to sale is so that the people who use it for either medicinal purposes or even recreational purposes will know where it came from. But now what we're finding is Um, the regulations and the taxes and the monies that are attached to the sale of this plant have given an opportunity for those who are growing it at home illegally without licenses and distributing it amongst friends and what have you. The
1: illegal market has grown. I've, I've heard from reliable sources it's tripled. Wow. The quality is just as good as you're going to find in any dispensary. Quantity is never an issue. You don't have to show any ID. The whole idea that pricing structure is dramatically less. Cannabis has been taxed wrong from inception. If you were to go in, and I told this example before, into any liquor store in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the cheapest bottle of vodka you're going to find, 750 milliliters, going to be about nine dollars, ten dollars, give or take. Of that, four dollars and seven cents alone is federal excise tax. Cannabis. It's not taxed at each level. So in other words, it should have been taxed at the manufacturing level. No, it's taxed at the retail level. So that's a more painful tax. Someone walks in and pays X plus 20%. That's a hard burden to climb over. If it was already put in I said, okay, sales tax will be 5%, with this it's gonna be $105, whatever the number is. That's a lot more palatable. I don't realize, and most people don't realize that, the tax base was already structured in, as opposed to being added at the end, and you'll find consumers have less of an issue buying it that way. That would help eliminate the illegal market because people would think, "Well, I'm getting something priced and tested. Uh, maybe it's priced a little more, but I have to assume the pricing is for growing conditions, not for paying regulators." That's the way to get this stuff to move out of the illegal market.
0: There's also a lot of talk, especially it's Oregon is the the example again, where uh, they started with X hundred medicinal dispensaries and now they're down to two because of the overgrowth of the crop in Oregon, among other things. Um, Will there always be a balance between the medicinal dispensary and the recreational or how, how, how did those things ever going to coexist?
1: I'm of the belief. When it becomes federally legal, medical will end up in big farmers' hands. They're the ones that have the money to be able to do the kind of research, collect the data, all the different data sets, do different drug trials, placebos, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Recreational will be in the hands of people doing business to consumer. It will be for mom and pop, it will be for the big players, but medicinal, I think, is gonna go to the side where they're going to extract the valuable molecules from THC and use it medicinal. Yeah. I don't think medicinally, to be able to purchase it in just a general shop, I think that's gonna disappear. Interesting. The only advantage it has, for example, Massachusetts, if you were to go into a shop and half is recreational, half is medicinal. Let's say you bought the same product, OG Kush. Mm -hmm. OG Kush would be, let's say, $300 an ounce, I'm just throwing that number out there. When you buy it medicinally, that's always $300 an ounce. You cannot tax Massachusetts um, drugs. Medicine, Massachusetts cannot be taxed. The recreational, the exact same thing, same package, is going to be taxed at 20%. So you think, do I want to pay 360 for recreational or 300 for medical? That's really—it's only saving grace, cost, cost savings.
0: And it's capitalism. It's democracy. It's all of these things. All exercising the options. That's right, and and there are plenty of options for that. Um, You mentioned molecules in the cannabis sativa plant. One of them that of course has become a fad in this country is CBD. I call it a fad only because we're still scratching the surface when it comes to knowing exactly what this molecule can do. It is the anti-inflammatory component in the cannabis sativa plant. It is the non-intoxicating, however, it is a psychoactive component because it does affect your brain. It does help you with stress and sleep and it has medicinal effects or medicinal effects to the human body and the endocannabinoid system without the intoxicating effect. That being said, our Commonwealth of Massachusetts sets out a new policy courtesy of the governor, Governor Baker, and he has the Department of Agriculture throw a wrench into this whole CBD thing the farmers of Massachusetts are extremely upset now because they've already invested money into their crop and now all of a sudden the state is saying just hold on one second.
1: All of Massachusetts we only have 11 recreational dispensaries. That's millions of tax dollars that should have been collected unfortunately that we haven't gotten around to. Doing this to CBD when it's proven not to do any harm, if anything, one doctor friend I know compares it to liquid (laughs) motra. If there's been no incidences recorded, and I'm not even talking scientific, if you go to emergency (coughs) rooms, things like that, there's never been a CBD (coughs) overdose. To make a long story short, them throwing a wrench in is just another example of how we get further and further behind. learning curve in this stuff and how we're just so slow to advance that when we finally do catch up we have to tax it so high to just try to make up for where we were in the past
0: and isn't the fact that the state which is dictating the laws um, of the state while the federal government makes it legal to grow hemp through the farm act in december and extract cbd why would the state of Massachusetts go against that? Why would the state of Massachusetts hurt their fellow citizens by coming up with this policy that now a lot of these growers are freaking out?
1: Jimmy, it's you, you it, posed a question that's kind of like the riddle of the <laughs> that's right. I think your mistake is you're trying to apply intelligent logic <laughs> to an unintelligent, illogical situation. You gotcha. That's probably the best analogy I can... Created, given this. That's right. And and by the way, we both remember the
0: '60s. So I think that was part of our uh, inbreeding that we always had to question authority.
1: Anyway, it's how I always grew up. Right? It's just tragic. You have an opportunity here. You know that farmers live on one leg at this point. Right. There's nothing but farm subsidies. These are people that they don't get vacations. Crops don't say, "Okay, take the weekend off." any kind of farm animal, it's not like I can say, you know, I'll be back in a week, make sure you're watered and fed. They live, they die, this is their life. To put any more difficulty in their way for something that's proven not to do any wrong, I think it's tragic. Is it criminal? I'd go so far as to say it's criminal, not that it's prosecutable, but to the end of the day, someone, we depend on our food source, we depend on these farmers. To give them a little bit of an edge and then take it away is absolutely degrading and insulting. To give them an opportunity finally to make some money, not to have to live off of subsidies, not to have to have pick your own crops because that literally is the only way they can sell enough to make a living. People roof over their heads. It's a good point. I hope it gets somehow it gets sorted out.
0: And I know there'll be a state house um, event. I uh, believe it is Monday tomorrow. Uh, by the time this gets out there, it'll already have happened. We'll be covering it. That's what we do at Pro Cannabis Media now, is we cover the news of cannabis. It's purple. It's purple. Hey, Bob Carp, great to run into you. Um, uh, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Enjoy it. So. for Bob, a good fight. Thank you. Keep it going uh, for Bob Karp, who wrote the book on how to get into the cannabis industry and now is writing the book on the compliance issues in the cannabis industry. So if you want to become a compliance officer, hold it up again, Bob. There you go. This is the book you want to get. All right, for Bob Carp, I'm Jimmy Young. Thanks for watching In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called cannabis sativa. That's true whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. In the Weeds with Jimmy Young is a video podcast produced by the Pro Cannabis Media Network for the entertainment and education of our audience. All opinions on this show should not be considered medical advice or reflect the opinions of the management of CLNS Media, C-Suite Network, Pro Cannabis Media Group, or its marketing partners.